people want to be in the company of other passionate people. And don't pretend to be passionate if you're not. If you're not passionate, then go choose another profession. Because we're artists, all of us. When I'm hiring crew, the, the special effects team or the hair and makeup team, they are artists. They're not like, I'm putting makeup on somebody's face or I'm blowing stuff up. They're like, they're totally into the script. This is the way that they tell stories, by blowing things up. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up today in episode 313, part two of AJ's chat with visionary, writer, producer, and showrunner Damon Lindelof. In part two, Damon shares with us the unique challenges of getting his first few jobs in LA. And guys, there's a fax machine involved. Have you ever heard of this thing? A fax machine for you kids listening? That's a that's a pre-internet, pre-cell phone thing. Uh, he also explains why ego can sometimes be a really good thing in filmmaking. He geeks out about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know you guys had a great time talking about that. And he breaks down some of the most potent wisdom he's absorbed and developed from years of meetings and pitches and working. You guys don't want to miss this one. Episode 313. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors, and it's available in the iOS app store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole bunch more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn about all the cool, cool new features in this newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. AJ, what up? Yo. Big uh big week for you over in the Apple universe. Lots of lots of cool stuff kind of coming down the pike and your pick of the week, uh which we'll get to obviously later in the episode. I was just sort of, you know, poking through the the website you listed there and some pretty cool stuff, man. So um tell us a little bit about uh the world of Apple for you this week. Well, I mean, I didn't I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> the uh these uh these big, uh, you know, keynote announcements just kind of happen to us, uh, really, as you well know from your time there as well. Um, you know, it, yeah, always fun, always exciting. Um, I almost was like, can I make some of these new features like Picks of the Week? Because, um, yeah, like those Siri shortcut ones are just ridiculous. Um, that's That's been sort of a long time coming. Um, that's actually what I'm most excited about is sort of automating some of the things that we do, some of those repetitive tasks we do on our on our devices. But I, you um, know, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm actually not entirely uh, uh, up to date with what that is. Can you explain what that is? So they announced a bunch of new software features. It was mostly about software. Uh, Mac OS, uh, Avi uh, is the next version of Mac OS. Uh, iOS 12 is the next version of uh, uh, the iOS. Watch OS 5. So there was no new hardware announced. It was all software. But in iOS 12, you're going to be able to – so Apple bought this app, which um, I don't know if I made my pick of the week a while back. I probably should have because it's really cool. It's called Workflow. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's a little bit challenging if you're not familiar with 
I mean, they, they try to make it as easy as possible, but if you're not familiar with, um, like building automator type scripts, um, it can be a little challenging to, to get into the sort of nitty gritty, but essentially what, what it does is it allows you to create automated scripts for doing certain tasks on your, um, on your mobile device, like your iPhone, your iPad. Um, and I don't know if workflow has, uh, an app for Android, but if they did, they probably won't anymore because Apple bought this company and they essentially, the, the, their app's not going away. Workflow's not going away, but they essentially built their sort of algorithms and stuff into Siri now. So when iOS 12 comes out, you're going to be able to essentially program, uh, Siri commands to do certain things, certain tasks. Um, and I haven't watched the entire keynote yet, so I don't know what examples they used in the keynote, but if there's something that you do that's like a repetitive task or something like that on your device, you'll now be able to say like, Siri, do this. And in the background, Siri will sort of execute a series of commands to make that thing happen. Um, so like there's this other application that's very similar called Launcher. Uh, and Launcher uh, was something that you could use to like, open a very specific application and perform a very specific function when just by tapping on a single button. So like, um, a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers at my last Apple store, for instance, would use that to bring up their serial number on their device so they could show it to, um, they had like a, it was such a huge, it was such a massive store. They had a security guard, um, sort of at the exit so that you, um, could sort of, they could audit what products you were walking out with. So like your phone, they could see the serial number, you know, and make sure that you were actually in fact, the owner of that device. So a lot of my coworkers would use that app to just hit a single button and go to their settings, general, blah, 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 pull up the serial number as an example. But with Siri suggestions, it's going to be like way more, I don't know, sophisticated. You're going to be able to ask her to just run a script that you pre-program in the settings. Um, I hope I'm doing a good job of, uh, I wish I had like a good example of this because I feel like I'm doing a terrible job, but I think of, of explaining it, but I think an, an example would be, would be helpful. Wow. That sounds very, very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a piece of software that I use called text expander, where you essentially, um, write out, a, write out a script of text and you can actually set, uh, like fill in the blank parameters within that text, such as date or episode number or whatever. So if I wanted to type an email that I usually, that I have like a form for, for instance, a sort of boilerplate template that I use, and I just want to change things like the name and the dollar amount or, you know, whatever, I can just type a little shortcut in my keyboard and up pops this entire paragraph that, uh, that I've, that I've pre-typed with blanks that I could fill that the, that the program then asked me to fill in, like fill in the amount, fill in the date, fill in the name. And I just type those in and then boom, I've got this sort of pre-built customized text. It's like a, it's like a mail merge function almost. Um, so it sounds like Siri, this will be the same sort of thing, but just across a wide variety of, of applications, uh, with your voice essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, David H. Source Seventeenth is actually a big fan of like the text expander idea. Uses that a lot to kind of automate. Same thing that you were just talking about, Trevor. Like automating emails and stuff like that. So yeah, imagine taking that concept and just applying it to um, other actions, not just text, but like you know, if there's something that you do often on your on your phone, uh, for instance, you'll be able to say instead of doing it 
you know, by by um, tapping on the buttons on the screen, you'll be able to say like, "Hey Siri, do X, perform, oh, you know, perform this." That's cool. My brain is automatically going to like, "How could actors use this?" And I'm thinking, man, if you've got uh, if you've got like you know your demo reel or a link to your demo reel somewhere on the web, and you meet somebody at a networking event, ugh, that word networking. If you meet somebody at an event where you are building relationships, and <laughs> and uh, and they say, "Hey, I'd love to hear your voiceover demo or see your reel or whatever," you can just pull up your your phone right there and go, "Hey Siri, send my reel to Sam or send my reel to, to Sam at iCloud.com or whatever," and then Siri will go, "Okay," and it will just throw together everything it needs and immediately that that gets sent off. Would that be a realistic application of this? Feature? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, you know, it would be something like um, Siri uh, start acting email or something like that. And then, you know, an email that you've already, you know, pre-designed gets uh, written, um, so to speak, you know, put together. And then, uh, you know, you just put, you know, put in the person's who you're sending it to and tap send. Wow. As an example. Wow. Yeah, it is to, just to give a little love to the uh, Android crowd that also listens to the show. Is there anything that you're aware of on the on the Google uh, Android side of things that is similar to this? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. I just don't uh, I just don't keep up with with that side of. Yeah, because Siri has gotten a lot of criticism, a lot of flack for being less intelligent, less advanced than you know, Alexa or Cortana or all the other digital assistants out there. What's Google's, I think Google's just called Google. Hey, Google, Google yeah, Home, hey, whatever. Hi, Google. Hey, Google, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so it, uh, it sounds like that Apple's sort of, you know, hanging back, taking their time, you know, making calculated choices uh, under the hood to go in a slightly different direction that might, that might ultimately be a little bit more utilitarian. Well, one of the things that I uh, explain to uh, customers all the time, and you know, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is entirely the reason uh, behind that kind of uh, the flack, as you put it. But one of the things that I will explain to people um, often is Apple is very concerned with uh, privacy, um, and so there's a there's a certain amount of um, <sighs> implied intelligence when it comes to Alexa and Google. Um, that's really just because it's been tracking you and your shit for so long. <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of true. I mean, you know, people, people ask us about the home pod all the time. And I was like, and I, I'm always like, you know, it's, it's behind the times a bit when it comes to the smart side of the smart speaker, but that's also because it's not recording your conversations constantly like, the uh, Alexa, the Amazon Alexa, which, by the way, was just like a couple of weeks ago used in some like murder case because it had recorded an entire like conversation or something happened, like where an entire incident was recorded and, and the police were able to like, you know, call it up or ask Amazon for it or whatever. And that's yeah. something just Apple would never, ever, ever ever do um everything that you ask siri for is is encrypted end to end so the so the, the first of all she's she's only listening for the words hey siri that's number one so she's not listening unless you say those words then when you say those words and make a request the request is encrypted so that <clears throat> when it goes off to the internet to bring back whatever results you need or whatever action you need performed the uh, the, 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 the service on the other side doesn't know where the request came from. 
Um, it doesn't know who requested it, doesn't know where the request came from, doesn't know any of the, so it's all very, you know, it's designed with privacy in mind. And I think that does kind of put Apple sort of behind the, behind the times, uh, as it were, when it comes to services like Alexa and, and Cortana and, and Google home. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cause these devices, they do have to always be listening in order to hear the, the, these invoking command as it were. But uh, in your estimation, Apple is is really taking their time because they want to make sure that privacy is the top priority. And these, I, yeah, are, these, and other, I, these other companies are sort of like, hey, you know, we'll just sort of like figure out the privacy thing later. We want to rush this feature to market so we can beat the competition. Well, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but uh, one of my favorite things that's come out of Tim Cook's mouth recently, and he, I think he may have even apologized for it because it was a little snarky, but he was um, asked – uh, by um, uh, this really famous tech columnist whose name is escaped Cara, uh, uh, not Kara Fisher. Oh, what is her name? Um, really famous tech columnist. Her name's escaping me right now, but um, she asked him, what would you do if you were in um, Mark Zuckerberg's shoes? And Tim Cook says, I said, I wouldn't be in his shoes. <laughs> Because and then he went on to explain himself, which was, you know, at Apple, the customer is not the product. Our products are our products. Right. So the idea being that like Facebook, Google, Amazon, they all make a lot of money off of selling or using in order to sell their customers information. Um, and that's just not the sort of business model of Apple. And they're it's if you look at the landscape, they're kind of the last company that isn't doing that. Um, and yet, you know, people are still, it's just nothing's ever good enough for the tech community, which is always fun to like witness, you know, people, you know, uh, all up in arms. Like, you know, they make this huge announcement, all these really cool features and people are like, meh. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> like I didn't realize you were a, uh, a programmer or a coder or a designer. And, you know, if you are, I didn't realize that you were, you know, working on anyway. It, yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. There's, there's negativity everywhere. There's negativity obviously in, in, in a big way in our industry. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I, I'll, I'll, I, if you don't stop asking me questions about this, Trevor, I'll never get off my soapbox. So I'm going to blame this on you. Well, I, it's a really exciting time we're in. And I, I, I have been thinking a lot about the privacy implications, obviously, with everything that's going on with Facebook and, and you know, Russia's purported meddling in elections and people people's stuff being hacked like Amazon and whatnot. Uh, listening to you, collecting data. So I actually turned off the this the uh hey siri function on my phone because i was sort of like oh geez you know i don't i don't want to even risk this but but i also was aware that people were sort of criticizing apple for being behind the times when it comes to these digital assistants doing everything for you um but you just sort of put my fears to rest a little bit i think i might turn that feature back on because it is handy i do i do love you know being you know in the car and having a, a random thought and being like oh i gotta capture this somehow hey siri and then my phone you know, does a little bing thing. And then I go, Hey, you know, remind me to do such and such. And she's pretty good at understanding, you know, my language and, and I, I rarely have to repeat myself. So that's always been handy. And I, I've been missing that. So I'll turn it back on. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. I made someone into a believer. Yeah. I can't wait yeah. to tell the story at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question I do want to ask you before we move on, because we do have a couple listener questions that I think would be great to respond to in this episode. But I know that um, from time to time you have shared with me off offline that um, this your, your, your day jobs, your thrival hustles – can be uh, a little spiritually and emotionally and energetically draining for you. And I'm, I'm curious, just sort of with all the sort of craziness that's going on in the tech world right now, especially with these new announcements now on top of that, uh, I just wanted to kind of hear how you're doing. I know you got back from a, a, a big, long nature trip recently. So how, how were you feeling recharged? Are you feeling more exhausted? Where, where are you at with that? Uh, well, thanks, buddy. I, I appreciate that. I'm actually, um, I'm curious. I think I, think I sort of... Uh, I mean, we may even talk about it more in depth in the next episode, but I'm just, I feel like I owe it to our listeners to ask you a similar question in terms of, you know, uh, life beyond acting, life beyond the podcast kind of thing um, with only a couple episodes uh, left here. Um, I feel very um, fired up by my job there right now, so much so that um, I even recently saw a what's called a career experience Um uh, listed that was very, very, um, in my lane, so to speak. Um, so much so that I was like, I, I went right to my store leader and, you know, talked to her about the possibility of doing this. And that would take me out of LA and, and up to Cupertino where, uh, Apple's headquarters is for three months. And she even said, what about your other thing? <laughs> your other like, meaning acting? I said, what other thing? She goes, you're acting. Your other thing. <laughs> I know. Is, is it? Oh, God. Uh, isn't it funny? Like, It's funny how people that aren't in the industry see the industry. Right? Yeah, the yeah. other thing. What yeah. the hell? Like, I just, you know, I, I, she is not, she's been so supportive. I don't want to, like, make light of, I don't want to make it seem like she's some, like, horrible. She has been so, so supportive of, of what I've been up to. <clears throat> I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, the other thing. So I said, what other thing? She said, acting. And and I just said to her, you know, I would just put I would just push pause on that for three months. And that's okay. Like I it took me a long time to get to the place that I'm at, but I feel like I've been here for, you know, a year plus, maybe two years, feeling like it's okay to you know, hit the pause button. It's not going anywhere. I can probably put myself on tape for stuff. And I would just go up there for three months and have a really awesome time. Um, I feel fired up enough about what I'm doing. It's actually why I made my pick of the week, what it is, you know, I feel fired up enough about what I'm doing there that, that the, um, the passion there is really, um, it's driving me when I'm not working on acting something. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's, I'm, listen, I cannot, I, I cannot express how grateful I am for that. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that don't have that. Um, they just have this, you know, day job that they can't stand and, you know, are, are just paying the bills and punching a clock and, 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 and hoping for something better or hoping for the day when they book something or whatever. Um, I just had an audition today that would directly conflict with, if I booked it would directly conflict with this career experience that I just mentioned. I, I, 
it was so fun to be able to walk into that audition and go, man, if I don't book this, I get to go this, do this other cool thing. Mm, you know, it's kind of yeah. like em- Emily Rose and, and, you know, going to Disneyland after an audition. It's like, I've got other things yeah. going on. So if I don't book it, it's, oh, it's actually more than okay. I have other really cool things that I, you know, um, backpacking trips I'd like to do and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I feel very full right now, which is fantastic. And I think the job is just one, one part of, uh, what's filling, filling the cup, hmm. so to speak. That's the lesson that we bring up over and over on this show. That is probably the most important lesson of the entire 300 plus episodes we've done that, that, and that lesson is, I think if you set up your life so that you win, if you book it and you win, if you don't, you win, right? Like that's, that's the wow. secret, right? That's the yeah. secret. You, you want to set up your life so that you're just winning regardless of how things go in the, in the acting world. I mean, obviously we want those jobs and we're, we're pursuing this, you know, career path for very specific reasons. And, and sometimes they can't fully be, be articulated because they're emotional, but, but if you can set up your life so that, man, you know what? Joy and abundance is coming my way, whether this job you know lands or not, that's how, what else could you possibly ask for? Support for this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. You can access this training as well. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start, and you'll be able to take part in a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll give you everything you need to know to start adding voiceover to your acting portfolio and skill set. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. And we have two questions that um, I think will be great to just offer quick responses to. The first one is a voicemail that we just recently got from Sarah. She called us and said, uh, you know, been listening to some older episodes of the podcast. And this, this was a time where we were pretty deep into the artist's way, which is a book I come back to over and over again. Some of the things that Julia Cameron shares and the practices uh, are just, they've become life sustaining you know, components uh, of, of this journey for me. And Sarah asks, uh, you know, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it, but I'm doing some Googling and it looks like there's a bunch of artist way books and things. Uh, her question is, is the artist way workbook a necessary purchase or will the plain old normal artist way book do? And, uh, I'm guessing by the workbook that she means the artist way journal. That's the only one I'm I'm familiar with that that would that's sort of a a morning pages type journal. Um, there might be a, a workbook beyond the morning pages journal that that Julia Cameron has put out. But I actually went to the bookstore and paged through the Artist Way journal, and it's just a a fancy blank book with some like inspiring quotes and lines in it for you to write on. I think it'd be cool if you've got the disposable income, but. I don't think you need anything other than like a cheapo 50 cent notebook from Target or CVS, a good pen that you enjoy writing with, and the good old plain artist's way book. Just, you know, hey, get it used from a garage sale or on Amazon or something. There's no need to spend a lot of money on this. What matters is the commitment to do it and not do it perfectly and just enjoy the enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, and let the discoveries happen. Um, so... Um, 
are you familiar with AJ with uh, any sort of workbook or beyond the morning pages journal? No, I think I remember when we did it in the membership that Grace may have talked or somebody else, maybe one of the other members may have talked about this, but I think you're right. I think it's just like a um, companion um, thing that, you know, if you need, I guess if you would like support and um, staying organized, maybe it has like the prompts in it or something like that. And that way you can just, you know, respond to them right then and there. But every time I've done it, I've just done it in a, like you said, like a blank uh, notebook. So, um, you know, not a, not essential, but, um, you know, if you are the kind of person that sort of geeks out about that kind of thing and you think it's going to help you uh, finish, then why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Set yourself up to win. Absolutely. Uh, but my experience has been that the cheaper uh, and more disposable the tools are, uh, the more free I feel to take risks and just like, you know, be be messy about it. I, when I first started The Artist's Way like 15 years ago or 12 years ago or whenever – uh, I first heard about it. I went out and got like a, you know, like a $17, like really nice journal. And I would like be really particular about how I wrote in it. I numbered all the pages and I was very particular about it. And the, the process of doing all the exercises and stuff was just agonizing. Cause I, I was so committed to like being, you know, neat about it to be to doing it right, you know, quote unquote, right. And once I gave up the, gave that up and just went with like the crappiest, shittiest stuff I could find that I enjoyed <laughs> using still, um, I just was free to just be a mess on the page. And I think that's really where, where the magic happens, especially with uh, creative things and, and a book like this, because she does sort of gently guide you to sift through that mess that you make and find the gems. Yeah. So, um, so anything you would add to, to I was just going to say it's important just to add to that specific aspect. It's important to even be aware of where you're judging something as um, uh something that could be seemingly innocuous like you know how you know the the either the instrument or the or the canvas upon which you're 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 you know spilling your guts like if you if you if you're morning page she even says this about morning pages being like messy you know uh, you're just it's just stream of consciousness there's not supposed to be any sort of like structure to it it's just you know, word vomit. Um, and, and if you're going, Oh, but I want a pretty notebook to put, to vomit into. Yeah. <laughs> right. it's, okay, cool. Uh, just something to notice about, yeah. you know, how you approach these kind of things. So, um, well said. Cool. Cool. So Sarah, I hope that, uh, helps, uh, answer your, your question. Uh, good luck. Godspeed. The artist way was a journey that I will never forget. And I actually have done the whole book twice, the whole course twice, and I'll, I will do it many more times throughout my life. I'm sure, uh, essential, essential, uh, thing in, in my life and, and many, many millions of people as well. Um, and I know AJ, you've, you've gotten a lot of good stuff out of it too. So yeah, for sure. Cool. And then uh, we have a question from Allison that came in quite a while ago, uh, and it's it's sort of a big question. So we we've taken our time in actually featuring, uh, you know, giving it some airtime here on on the podcast. But it's essentially a question about overwhelm. And Allison says that um, you know she's wanted to act for as long as she can remember. She's been also uh, full of fear and self doubt for as long as she can remember. Um, and uh, she's let that sort of, you know, nudge her off the path over the years. But now at about 33 years old, she has finally accepted this is what she wants to do. She's ready to commit. She's ready to go. But she has no idea 
where to go, where to start. It feels like this insurmountable mountain to climb. Everything from agents to headshots to union or non-union. Where do you start? Where where do we want it to end? Uh, uh, does she have to keep her day job? She just knows she wants to tell stories and be good at what she does. What guidance can we offer? And this is a huge question, and I would say the the one question we we started this podcast to answer. So I would say, Allison, go back to episode one <laughs> and <laughs> start and start from the beginning. Yeah, start listening. Um, but but she did say something in the uh, in the question here towards the end. She says, uh, "I don't know where to start. I just know where I want to end." And I think that's really important. Number one, knowing where you want to end. Uh, in a lot of self help literature that's out there. They say that, you know, the human brain is sort of like a, a GPS system. You have to sort of know where you want to go, the, the exact address of where you want to go, and you have to know where you are right now, the exact address of where you are. You plug that in, and then it will automatically figure out the fastest way to get there, and it will adjust in real time based on traffic, and it will tell you the first street to turn on. And then when you turn on that street, it will announce the next street to turn on. And you just follow those directions and trust the process. I know that's way easier said than done, but my experience has been that's that's kind of how it works. So um, congratulations, Allison, for for stumbling upon Inside Acting, which I hope is able to offer some guidance in that in that respect. But um, if you know where you want to end and you know where you are now um, and you're listening to this show and you are eager to learn, I think you'll find the 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 next best step for you. I, I'm really hesitant to offer like a, oh yeah, take this class or, oh yeah, get a headshot that looks like this or read this book because it's different for everybody. Uh, and we've shared so many things like that over the, the several hundred episodes we've done. So um, I hope that's not a non-answer, but that that's my, those are my, my thoughts on that. Anything uh, you would add, AJ? Um, I, I really love the GPS analogy. I was really digging that. I was like, I was eating that up. Um, I I would say just because it's mentioned in the um, email, the overwhelm thing, you know, a lot of, to go back to the GPS analogy, you were talking about like where you're at and that has a lot to do with self-awareness. So um, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but what is, you know, what tools for self-awareness, you know, to get to uh, a, a space of self-awareness and self-healing uh, work best for you, figuring those out. That way, I think I think getting even to the starting, it's going to sound so funny because like, you know, GPS is like, I want to go to a place. I know where I'm at right now. Most people don't know where they are right now. So even getting to the starting point can be a challenge. Um, and that is all about self-awareness and to really be be to really work on self-awareness and work on authenticity it, it it does require work it requires something like the artist's way for instance you know it's like getting to the end of that book is almost like okay now i'm at the beginning mm -hmm. um and uh and so I, if it, whether it's journaling or meditation or therapy or um uh, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, uncovering and, and breaking through some kind of trauma in your early life uh, or childhood, whatever it is for you, uh, that stuff has got to be uh, dealt with, handled, managed, whatever you want to, whatever verb you want to use um, before you can, uh, not before, but at, on your way to the starting point, really. Yeah. Um, and on the, you know, you talked about that's why I love the analogy. Like you talked about traffic along the way, 
that's going to be traffic too. It's going to slow you down. Um, it's going to make you doubt you're on the right path. Um, it's going to frustrate you. Uh, it's, I love, I love the GPS analogy. I I think I'm going to use that a lot. Um, so that, that's the only thing I would add, um, as far as overwhelm, because you're, you're right, Trev, like all the rest of it about what's okay. What's the, what's the practical you know, uh, stuff I don't, you know, cause she says, I don't know where to start, you know, union, non-union, um, you know, all the, all the stuff, acting classes and reels and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's all the how it sounds like she has the why and just needs support in, 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 in doing the work and getting started. All that other stuff are what you were saying, Trevor, the turns, like getting a reel, getting headshots, getting whatever. It's like, okay, now you've gotten to that turn and the, you know, the GPS is like, okay, let's, here we go. Now we're taking the next one, the next one, the next one. Um, and sometimes those turns are, you know, huge, um, you know, and you get on a freeway and you're on a fast track because, you know, you got some coaching or went to therapy or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes they're little things, little side streets where you just, you know, got some new headshots or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it'll, it'll take you in a U-turn. It'll, you know, there'll be an accident up ahead that you don't know about. And they'll be like, actually <laughs> turn around, go back home for a minute. And then yeah. we're going to start on a different route. Start over. And That's like, right. What yeah. the hell's going on? But guess what? The GPS is taking you the fastest possible way. Uh, it's just sometimes hard to know that, you know, the GPS has taken all those things into account. I love that analogy too. When I read that, uh, I've read that in several books. That's a popular analogy in, in a lot of this personal, you know, human, human potential movement and uh it it never fails to sort of just be true (laughs) you know um man i i think the most important thing i was thinking as you were speaking aj the most important thing is not the how like you said a lot of people get attached to the how i want to know how it's going to happen and there's no way for us to know that the most important thing i think um things i should say uh you know plural uh is not only the the why and the what you know what you want and why you want it but I would say the who you are being on this journey. Are you the kind of person that is, are you reinforcing a way of being that is constantly frustrated and complaining and taking small swipes at, at, at people and, and, and things like that on this journey? Or are you just finding the joy in the process? I, it's so much easier said than done. And I feel like a California woo-woo you know, guy saying that. But I have found that to be the most important element on this journey. It, it's almost more important than anything else. Who am I committed to being in this moment on this unpredictable, oftentimes joyful, oftentimes terrible thing we call life? Who am I choosing to be? Am I choosing to be a committed person? Am I choosing to be someone who's in, in integrity? Am I choosing to be a, a, a judgmental, you know, uh, heartless person? And, and we often all choose that way of being because we're not conscious of what we're creating oftentimes. And sometimes we are, and we want to just do that to the world, and, and that's okay. It's just being aware of that, like you, like you said, AJ. And, and the artist way is a great way to start, uh, you know, meditation, therapy, everything you said uh, – is a great a great way to to sort of get started in that process but i i just wanted to drop that in there the why is important the what's important the who is really important the how forget about that part just yeah. take the next step and the next step and the next step yeah and you reminded me of one other thing that i i noticed uh in the in the email which was um you know toward the end she says uh even if i have to keep my shitty day job and i was thinking of steve Rohr. You know, and you're a star wherever you are. And there's two, there's, 
sort of two angles to look at this. One is um, as long as you, not just you, Allison, but the royal you, as long as one continues to think of it as a shitty day job, that's you'll be right. You will be right. That is exactly right. That's what you will have. You will have a shitty day job. That's, you know, so there's the the angle of being response able and changing one's view around, um, uh, you know, uh, I was just, the reason I'm uh, getting off track right now is because I was just thinking of Viktor Frankl's uh, book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. But uh, so go read that and then talk, and then talk to me about your shitty day job. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's like one angle to look at it. And then the other angle is you don't have to stay in your shitty day, day job. You don't ha- like that's not a requirement. I, and I'm only I'm saying this from experience because I used to like believe this that it, that you know I had to suffer. I had to like I had to do I had to be in the trenches and suffer over here so that like my I could I could do my art. Um, it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I, I know it's easier said than done. And I know uh, speaking as somebody who has full-time employment and a lot of privilege, don't get me wrong. I get that I'm male, mostly, well, partially Caucasian and, and live in America. I, I have a leg up in a lot of different ways, but, uh, I really don't believe it has to be the way that it is. Uh, meaning y- if you don't like the job that is sustaining you, your thrival job, as we like to call them, um, then you can change that. It is possible. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Allison, hope uh, this offers some comfort and guidance to you. Um, The podcast will be continuing after this. It's just going to look a little bit different. So please keep us posted on your success. Every, every, every message that uh, listeners send in to the podcast, uh, I, I will continue to see AJ will continue to see the team will continue to see. And it's always wonderful to see that, that this thing we do, uh, it plays a role in people's journeys, uh, hopefully a positive one. So, Allison, thank you for the question. Hope this helps keep us posted. Uh, anything else before we dive into part two of your chat with uh, the amazing Damon Lindelof? Yeah, it makes him sound like a magician. The amazing Damon <laughs> Lindelof. Um, uh, you know, I was just thinking about this while we were answering the questions. Damon's philosophy around doling out advice is very similar to ours and i even said i think i i don't know if i edited this out but uh you know he he's not a big person he's he's like i'm not the end-all be-all uh you know i actually don't like it when people are like this is the way and i was like oh my gosh that's what we say on the podcast so he goes through it's funny because he goes through these like rules at one point where i ask him about you know, what works in meetings and pitches and blah, blah, blah. And they're so good. I want to be like, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Don't listen to one person's advice. Also follow this man's advice. (laughs) (laughs) They're so good. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's kind of the worst world's worst, uh, preface to uh, the second part of an interview, but, uh, enjoy the heck out of it, man. I, I was, uh, I was having so much fun doing the interview and i hope you have a lot of fun uh listening to it folks uh so here's uh damon lindelof part two
what was your first job? I mean, what was your first, like, did you, did you have to, you know, take a, a desk job first and, yeah. and then, and, and make money while you were, you know, writing scripts? So it was 94. There was no internet. And we, you know, I moved out here with my roommate from college, this guy, Eric, and, um, and the ex-girlfriend of a buddy of ours lived in LA and she was kind enough to let us crash on her floor for a week while we found a place. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and she was an aspiring actor and her roommate was, um, it was like a PA. And, uh, and so they were like, oh, here's what you do. You just get the trades, Hollywood, uh, reporter and variety. Yeah. And at the time in the back of the trades, there were help wanted. There were, there were at ads and, you know, position needed, runner needed, you know, PA needed. And you just sent your, you, we would go to Kinko's and fax our resumes, um, everywhere and pray for a call. And so Eric ended up, um, getting a job at Imagine, you know, Ron Howard and, uh, Brian Grazer's company as a, as a PA and I ended up getting a job. My first job was at this movie of the week company called Once Upon a Time Films that was based out of Santa Monica. And I was just, I just drove around and delivered. I got them lunch and then I delivered like packages for them and stuff. But I could use their fax machine to fax out my resume <laughs> to kind of get to the next level. And kind of what I started hearing kind of, uh, you know, around that you know through through the the network of other young people who were just kind of starting out was that the agencies were the best place to get experience because they were the the middle persons you know the idea of like sure. if 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 ultimately the goal was to be a writer who got compensated for writing and i and it's like well you need to get an agent it's like okay how do you get an agent other than write something awesome? And so it just felt very intuitive to me that if I worked for an agent who represented writers, that that person, I could deduce what it was that they saw in writers when they decided to sign them. And so I got a job working at an agency called Metropolitan Talent, which was a smaller kind of boutique agency, but like legit, like, um, you know, at the time there was no Endeavor yet, but there was William Morris and CAA and ICM and, and UTA and then there were these boutique agencies that um, that were kind of like farm teams, where you basically developed talent, and then the bigger agencies would come and poach them. Yes, but that was a better place to be for me because CAA is already getting their writers, you know, off the farm team. So I was like, I need to go from like little league to mate to minor league ball. Yeah. This is the spot for me. And so I worked there for a year on an agent's desk. This guy Andy Howard, and he was great, and let let me listen in on phone calls. And not only that he was having with writers who he was getting jobs at studios, but I, as he negotiated with studios um, uh, in terms of doing the writer's deals. So I started learning the industry, you know, the fact of like, oh, writers are not just good at writing. They're commodities as far as the studios are concerned, because we would have great writers that were represented at the agency, like who had awesome samples and the sample would get them a meeting with the studio executive and then they wouldn't get hired. And it was like, why? Well, they bombed the meeting. And the, re and the so the idea of like, Oh, I, once, once you have the meeting with me and I, now I have to go in and impress you, you know? Yeah. And basically like, it's, it's a date in a lot of ways. So I have to sit down with this person for 40 minutes. They're interviewing seven other writers for this job. How do I get the job? And so just 
hearing talking to writers who had gone through that process, talking to writers who were good at it, always booked work, talking to writers who were great on the page but never got hired. My brain just kind of started to kind of understand, you know, what employers were looking for. And then yeah. after a year of that, I was like, I should probably go work for the studio now. Because at this point, I was still wanting to do movies. You know, I still wanted to be a movie writer. So I got hired by this exec at uh, Paramount, this guy, Michael Hackett, who was super smart and um, and uh, was sort of the genre, the, the junior CE genre guy. And all the sci-fi and, um, and action stuff that went through Paramount. Was, was Michael, and he and I were immediately simpatico taste-wise. But then suddenly now I was watching things from the studio's point of view, and that sort of filled in the other part for me of like, oh, okay, that's why the, these guys weren't, were, weren't getting hired. Um, uh, and kind of getting at the same time a little bit um, di- disenfranchised with the idea of movie writing because I was starting to see that thing that we were talking about earlier where writers are just so disposable they're so interchangeable and so yeah. the idea is like we're just we're bringing this individual in to do a pass and then we're going to fire them and bring someone else in and it was always sort of weird to me it was like well why can't you you just you invested all this time in her why don't you just ask her to, to do it and it was like why bother like if you can make a change it's like imagine a relationship with someone that you care about and the minute that they do something that you don't like you just go like all right thanks like as opposed to being confrontational, working out, sitting in therapy, you know, yeah. like uh, you just immediately replaced them. Um, and so I was kind of like, hey, I don't know if this is for me. And so by by, by time we're, we're, we're now getting into kind of the late 90s, Michael left Paramount. I transitioned over to work for a producer on the Paramount lot, this guy Alan Ladd Jr., who had just won the Oscar for Braveheart. It was a legend. He had run uh, Fox and greenlit Star Wars and Blade Runner, and um, just just a fantastic guy. And um, but I was all I was writing all that time too. You know, I'd go home and or, or sit in a coffee shop and uh, smoke cigarettes. You could smoke inside still in LA at that time, um, and uh, and and bang away on my my laptop. But. I, you know, I, I wrote a number, I probably wrote like four or five like really shitty screenplays that I didn't let anybody read. And then finally I wrote one that was okay and I submitted it to uh, the Nichols Fellowship that the Academy, the Motion Picture Academy does uh, just to kind of see what would happen before I burdened anybody that I knew with reading it. And um, I think they got like, like 4,000 or 5,000 submissions somewhere in there and um, and then I got a letter that was like, uh, congratulations, you're in the top 100. Um, stand by for another letter. And then I got another letter that was like, congratulations, you're now in the top 25 or something like that. You're a quarter finalist. And, and I was like, okay, the next letter is going to come and it's either going to say you're a finalist for this thing and that's going to feel amazing or it's going to say you proceed no further. But I'm in the top 25 of let's say 4,000 submissions like – that's some that that's something. So maybe I should make a move before I potentially get dispirited. And at that point, all the other things that we were talking about earlier had sort of synthesized in my brain where I was like, I want to do television. 
And so I sent it. Now the internet does fortunately exist. <laughs> so I send out an email to everybody that I know in town and say, I want to be a television writer. And I know no one's going to hire me to do that. Um, but is there some kind of like apprenticeship? I didn't know the word writer's assistant yet, but mm. like I was like, are there PAs for writers? I'll get coffee, I'll clean cars or whatever, but anything that gets me close to the creative where I can kind of learn, but I think that I would really have something to offer. And I sort of sent it out to everybody that I knew that I'd kind of come up through the ranks with. And my friend Julie Pleck, who has gone on to be a showrunner herself, she runs Vampire Diaries and the originals and you know, 50 other television shows. She's amazing. She was uh, uh, running uh, Kevin Williamson's uh, production company at the time, and he had had a lot of success with Scream and Dawson's Creek and was doing this new show for ABC called Wasteland. And she she emailed me back. It was like a Thursday afternoon and said, you can be the writer's assistant on Wasteland, but you have to start on Monday. And I was like, I'll take it. Um and so I, I quit my job and I was an executive, you know, I had an expense account and I had to wear a tie to the, the office every day and I had a parking spot and, you know, uh, I, I, I was making a good living and I had health insurance and all these things and I just said, I'm, uh, I've, I've generated some savings, I'm going to go give this, a, give this a shot. And so that was, that was my first TV gig on Wasteland and um, fortunately, uh, unfortunately for Wasteland... It was very chaotic, and many of the writers quit or were let go. And so within probably like three months, there were like two or three writers left and me. And I was like, I'm just going to go home and write a spec episode of Wasteland because this show is going to get shut down. Um, and And so I did that, and I handed it to a couple of the baby writers, the staff writers, and I said, look, put your name on this if it's any good or rewrite it, like, but... We're, we're all going to be out of work if, unless we – this is – look at it as coal that needs to be shoved into the, the, the oven of the locomotive. Um, but at least I, I wrote it. And they went into their office and I was very nervous and I was like, this was a huge mistake. I've overstepped my place. I shouldn't have done this. This is like – this is all because I was in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in high school and this <laughs> never works out in real life. And um And I'm about to get fired. And then Kevin Williamson came into the office and he had been uh, editing this movie that he'd been working on. So I was really scared of him and only really seen him two or three times. He walked right up to my desk and he said, are you Damon? And I was like, yes. And he said, did you write a spec episode of the show? And I was like, I'm about to get fired. And I was like, yes. And he was like, do you have an agent? And I was like, no. And he said, "You you need to get one. And then he went in his office and closed the door. And I was like, what just happened? And then the writers came out of their office and they're like, the script is great. We just called Kevin and told him to hire you. And I was like, yeah, he just get, <laughs> like that just happened. And so, wow. you know, overnight success after seven years in yeah. town. Um, but the, that I was kind of sailing after that. Awesome. I love that story. Um, you said a couple of things when you were telling it too that I want to uh, ask about. One is, um, and I know that, you know, we're, now focus uh, on television so before we leave it entirely just in terms of film do you think it's um do you think it's just fear or uh risk aversion that has studios going along with this system of of firing you know people uh, after a, a single draft no i think it's I, I i think it's a number of things some of which completely or totally make intuitive sense to me and others are just frustrating because I'm a writer. But first and foremost, it's 
it's a vastly complex issue, which I'm now going to oversimplify. The oversimplification is someone has to be in charge. And the person in charge, traditionally in movies, especially at a certain budget point, is the director. And so the, the director, it's the director's decision to, make, to, to, to hire and fire writers. It's not necessarily the studio. Mm. So the studio is curating the, the, the writers that they think are going to be best for this project. And so there's two phases of development, right? Phase one is let's get the script to in, into, into, into a state of excellence whereby we can attach a director. And, but then most directors, especially the good ones, they're going to read the script and they're going to say, this is really good and I want to direct this movie, but there's stuff that I want to do to it. And some of those directors will sit down with the writer who wrote the material in the first place and say, here's what I want to do to it. And sometimes that meeting goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Because what makes writers great writers is they're like, that's a stupid change. I don't want to make that. And, and, and sometimes writers are like, okay, I, I will try to do it your way. Some other directors will come in and say right out of the gate, this is great. I'm, I, I want to hire a writer that I know and trust and have worked with before. So that's the first firing happens out of the gate. And so once you're into that, into that process, and, and I think it's important, the director does have to be in charge. Otherwise, like who's making the fundamental decisions at every level from, you know, from casting and production design to, you know, to the, the hiring of all, the director is in charge. Um, that's the way that sort of movies work. And until someone basically makes a movie the way that we make television, where it's, you know, the writer was in charge and the director... Like, have you heard of a movie where it's sort of like the director is like, I got to be honest with you, it was just an incredible script and I just, I just showed up and shot it, but it's really, it's really Aaron's movie, you know, like it just doesn't work that way. And I get it, like, because the same personality traits that make someone a great director, it, it, we, we use the word ego in a bad way, but ego is a good thing, you know, I mean, otherwise there's, if you have Someone who's completely and totally indecisive and every decision wants to be made collaboratively, no decisions will ever be made. Yeah. So it's why human beings sometimes gravitate towards author- uh, authoritarianism, which is it's like there's a comfort actually in an, author- an authoritarian figure saying, no, we're doing this. Like there's actually a relief in not having to constantly make decisions. Yeah. And writers' personalities uh, tend to be – not necessarily more indecisive, but a little bit more insecure, a little more self-doubting, a little more empathic. These are not traits um, that are that are healthy on a movie set. Yeah, traditionally. Yeah, and so that's the catch twenty-two. But I'm just trying to unpack your question a yeah. little bit, which is, I wish it were different, but I understand why it is the way that it right. is. Right. You know, I mean, on Prometheus, you know, I have a meeting with R- Ridley Scott. Uh, we have a phone call and then we have an, a 90 minute long meeting and then he now decides he's going to hire me and so Ridley Scott is my boss and he's Ridley fucking Scott <laughs> and so when Ridley Scott when Ridley Scott says this is what I want you to do I get to say that doesn't make sense once you know and then the next time I say that doesn't make sense I'm going to be fired not because he's an asshole but because it's my job to make it make sense. Yeah. He's Ridley Scott. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was – earlier before that – thank you for that, for that answer. Before that sort of overall explanation, I was going to say like, man, this, this is only like this because we all decided it, you know, it was going to be like this. But there, 
I appreciate now that some of the, the, the reasoning behind it and it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's a little I, bit messed up, but it, but it makes sense. I will say, and this doesn't take anything away from, you know, uh, John Favreau, who I think is an incredible director, Kenneth Branagh, who I think is an incredible director, or, or Taika Waititi, who's an incredible director, but like inside the Marvel camp, and I've never worked on one of those movies, but my understanding is that it is very collaborative and that Kevin Feige is kind of the showrunner, right, That in, in the TV model. And so the directors are a little bit more, um, you know, having to play well with others and collaborate with writers and, and, and the Marvel machinery. So if you, you know, it, it, I know that the Russo brothers directed Infinity War, but if you ask most Marvel aficionados, again, walking out of the movie, you love that movie? Yes. How many Marvel movies have you seen? I've seen all of them. What is it? We're up to like 12 19, now? 19. 19. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen 19 of them. And you just go, who directed that movie that you just saw? Like, how many people are going to say it was the Russos? How many people can tell you that the Russos also directed Winter Soldier? Like, yeah. um, or Civil War? Like, you know, and, and then basically say, who directed Homecoming? You know, you loved Homecoming, right? You love that. You love that movie. You can name the actors who were in Homecoming. Who directed it? So in the Marvel franchise, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it, again, you have to be, um, you have to do Thor um, Ragnarok, which like really pops, or I think the Guardians movies where James Gunn actually people go like, I know who he is. Yeah. You can put your stamp on a Marvel movie. It, it and this isn't taking anything away from those directors. And I think you know there's a reason that those Marvel movies are all consistently great. Is they're pr- they're really well directed, but I do think that it runs a little bit more like a TV show, and that's that's why they work so well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But absent Feige in that equation, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what you end up with? I was just talking about those movies because uh, I went and saw Infinity War on opening weekend and, and then so talked good. about it on the podcast. Like, <clears throat> I don't know that we're ever going to see that again. And that's why I wanted to bring it up on the show. Is like we have, you know, it's ni- it's basically <coughs> like if you look at Infinity War like Iron Man 19, mm-hmm. like it's the 19th sequel of Iron Man, it is like an incredible like such an incredible uh, arc um, uh, and and something I don't know that we'll ever really see again, you know, kind of a, a different, a completely different model that I don't, you know, I don't think we've seen before and I don't know that we'll ever see again. Just the way that they put it all together, I can't even imagine the, the contracts and keeping, you know, keeping this actor, like you are going to play Iron Man for, you know, this many movies and sure. you know, sign this piece of paper, like, holy crap. Um, but there's a tonal consistency <clears throat> that, yeah. You know, where technically it's it's sort of like, okay, Iron Man worked because it was based in the real world and he built a suit and the suit can do this, but like, how do you now pivot to Thor? You right. know? And they did. Yeah. Like and then even after they su- even after they successfully pivoted to Thor and then they did a period sort of like war movie with Cap, then it's then it's like then you you kind of start to hear about Guardians of the Galaxy and you're like, there's a talking raccoon, <laughs> you know, like, oh, Brad Cooper work. is a talking rat and Vin Diesel is a talking, talking tree. tree yeah. Okay, good luck with that. And then Guardians is better, is the best one yeah, of, to come along, period. <laughs> and so, like, uh, and you can draw a straight line once you, and then all those characters can be in each other's movies and there's no tonal inconsistencies. Yeah. You're like... Okay, in this scene in Infinity War, is Tony in a Doctor Strange movie or is Doctor Strange in an Iron Man movie? And the answer is they're all the same, yeah. you know. But it doesn't. But it doesn't feel like you're in McDonald's either, where like 
where the McDonald's in Moscow is serving the same Big Mac as the as the McDonald's. The, each one of these movies does have its own kind of identity. Yeah. Um, it, it really uh, not enough credit is given for something that's given so much credit. It's it's yeah. really masterful. I yeah. mean, there's no other word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the other question that I that I wanted to ask when you were talking about like the the the, the sister, your sort of you know, story of getting to your first job was you talked about enough, yet another skill set that I feel like is challenging for a writer or for somebody who's a content creator, which is you were talking about the meeting and sort of the pitch mm-hmm. too a little bit. Um, and I know that those aren't necessarily the exact same thing, but I feel like it you could put them in the same sort of ballpark of you know the meeting, the forty minute meeting you mentioned where you're sitting down. It's like, is this going to work? Because this person is interviewing seven other writers for this job. Or the pitch meeting, where you're going in to say like, "Here's my idea for my show," or or, or whatever. Um, you said that during that time, working for the agency, working for the producers, working at uh, Paramount, that you got an opportunity to learn some do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if there was any way to kind of crystallize some of what you learned, that would be maybe one of the most valuable things for anybody who was listening. You know, if there was a writer listening to this. I feel like that's the part they would be like, okay, I'm going to grab, you know, that pen and paper. I'm going to write this down or write everything he says down. Is there, is there anything that you feel like has, I mean, I know you're 15 years out from it now, but what do you feel like you learned? Were those do's and don'ts for those meetings? What, what did you feel like you learned? Like, okay, this is what, you know, doesn't get writers hired. This is what does get writers hired. Um, do you think that you could put that into, into words? Or is it just completely intangible? I, I can try, but you know, but I, I, I'm always wary of kind of giving answering a question like that or giving advice because there's like there there's a parenthetical of like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> no, and I'm not being self deprecating. I'm just saying I've heard so many different stories yeah. of success, and all I can say is this is this is my experience, and th- this is the wisdom that I myself have gleaned. But it, but in no way should you take it in the shape of like this is the wisdom, yeah. um, and my We're wisdom. Big advocates yeah. of that, by the way, on the on the podcast. Good. Like yeah. we we say constantly, like this is one person's story. This is one way. This is one piece of advice. There's no such thing as like an end all be all. Right. You know, cut and dry. Like every like this solution works for every single person. On yeah, the- that's first and foremost, which is you have to kind of be your genuine you, which is like I I I, I was. I was interacting with with an individual who I was close with and who was sort of like a friend and was sort of struggling in the business. And then I noticed like that when we started talking to one another, he just kept saying my name all the time. He was like, I totally hear you, Damon. Like um, like and you you actually realize like if you're friends with someone, you almost never say their name. You know, like even when we call each other on our cell phones now. I, you wouldn't answer the phone and be like, hello? And I'd be like, hi, it's Damon. You know it's fucking me. It just said Damon on your phone. So we very rarely – and he just kept saying my name. And I, I was like, dude, why do you keep saying my name? And then there was like an uncomfortable pause. And I was like, did you like take some like online class or something or like read a book that where you're like trying to mind control me? And he was like, sort of. Yeah, and it's like so, – it's an NLP and, thing, yeah, right? And I mean this in terms of saying like – if anyone is giving you like kind of like this is this is how you should do a pitch if you're not you like 
if you're if you're doing some kind of like scripted thing or like maintain eye contact at all time, fuck all that. Like just be you. Like that's that's rule number one. Rule number two is be prepared. Like do your homework. Who is the person that you're meeting with? What have they made? What can you find out about them? Who do you know who also knows them? Like, are there other writers who have worked for this individual who you can call up and say, tell me about this person? Like, not as a way of manipulating them, but but just kind of like do intel. Like, to go into that room and know nothing about the people that you're actually uh, are, are going to make the decision as to whether or not to hire you is insane to me. So, like, do your homework, do intel, do debate prep. You know, I was in debate in high school. Like, you know, do your prep. Like, you, you, you're gonna, you, you might have to argue this, the side of the argument that you don't personally believe in. But if you are prepped, you know, you will, make, you will be able to make a convincing argument. And then the third and most important part is passion. Like, that's, what, that's, what, that's what's getting you hired. You're in the room because they already like your writing. You know, they're not... They're not going to meet with you first and then read your writing after the fact. Your sample has gotten you in the door. And so your ideas are super important, but that's subjective. <laughs> I'm not going to say the answer to your question, AJ, is just have awesome ideas. <laughs> if you just have awesome ideas all the time, you're going to do really well in this business. All right, cool. But if you believe – like I'm assuming that you believe that your ideas are awesome or else you probably shouldn't be in that room. So your passion, you know, however you express that passion, you know, it's – it's it's passion is different than confidence like confidence is hard for writers because we are inherently sort of self-doubting and worry about whether or not we're frauds and all those things that you know actors the more, never feel that way so actors I'm, too but the more successful i get the more people you know just don't buy the fact that i feel like i'm a fraud there there are plenty of people out there who are like oh yeah we agree but um, <laughs> but there are people who actually like my writing who are like i don't buy it I don't buy that you that you think you're a fraud. And I said, I don't think that I'm a fraud. I think that I'm a fraud sometimes. You know, other times I don't think it, but it's always there. And so the last when you're in the when you're in a meeting with someone for 45 minutes and they're deciding whether or not they're going to hire you, you have to hide the fraud. You know, you have to hide that to the best of ability and then take that other part of you, the hubris part, the part that actually feels like you should be paid for your your ideas are so good that someone should give you money for what's inside your head. That's passion. And so you just have to do whatever mental exercise requires that switch. Remind yourself, I'm in this room because they like my writing. And if you are passionate, they will gravitate towards your passion. Um, Like people want to be in the company of other passionate people. And don't pretend to be passionate if you're not. If you're not passionate, then go choose another profession. Because we're artists, all of us. Even, you know, when when I'm hiring crew... The, the special effects team or the hair and makeup team, they are artists. They're not like I'm putting makeup on somebody's face or I'm blowing stuff up. They're like they're totally into the script. This is the way that they tell stories by blowing by blowing things up or, you know, so always kind of like passion is infectious. That's why we do this. Um, uh, that That's why we're, we're in this space of this medium. And I've seen really shitty plays that were performed by really passionate actors and I was like that was kind of great the play was shit but <laughs> but like it was so I'm so glad that I was was in that theater for two hours um, I've also seen brilliant plays you know performed by non-passionate actors and it was excruciating um, so I'll take A over B every day of the week so you know whatever it takes to 
you know, psych yourself into your most passionate self when you're in the room. So, you know, um, oh, and finally, don't talk for too long, you know, like even if you've worked out every sort of nut and bolt of the pitch, you should really, the less you talk, study after study has basically revealed that the less you talk in a job interview, the higher your probability of getting hired is. So part of the game is getting the other person to talk a lot. You know, you can actually get intel in that meeting, which is like, I have a couple pitches for what I might do with this piece of material, but before I dove in, I kind of wanted to get a sense of like where you're at with it. Like, what do you like and what you don't like about the material? You might not get to have that opportunity until the interview, but they're going to be tickled by the fact that you're asking them that question. They're not like showing you the answer key. And then hopefully what they're saying is going to lead right into, you're like, I have to be honest with you. That is exactly what I was thinking. And now here's my pitch. So, but if you're talking the entire time, who wants, I can see it in your eyes now. You're like, you are talking for way too long. (laughs) No. No. But it's like the less – the more it is con- the more it is a conversation, the less it is a pitch, the better it is for you. Yeah. That's awesome, Damon. Thank you, Damon, for talking about that, Damon. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Well done. Touche. So uh, we have um, two questions that we always end uh, every interview with. Um, we're excited to hear your, your answers. Um, the first is do you feel like this path, this industry, this work – um, this role of being a writer, producer, content creator, do you feel like um, you chose it or it chose you? Both. Both. I mean, that's not a dodge. It's, uh, again, I, I, I guess my most honest answer to that question is I love it so much and have always loved it for as long as I can remember that I wanted to be a writer, that I just kind of feel like it would just be really cruel for whatever fates exist in the universe, if such things do exist, that I wouldn't be able to make a living at it. Um, And even if I wasn't making a living at it, at least I could sort of continue doing it. Um, So it... In in an alternate reality where I'm selling real estate, I'm still writing, you know? I just never... I just never made, made it, never broke through to where someone would pay me to do it. But it's a part of my being I'd be like incapable of not telling stories so in that sense I guess it shows me but also if you if you look at what I said in my you know third grade yearbook um, what I wanted to be when I grew grew up I wanted to to tell stories Um, and so I chose it in in that regard I love that Um, and then the final question is um, if you could take all of your experience, whether that be, you know, growing up in Teaneck, reading Stephen King, going to NYU film school, uh, learning from these different mentors that you've mentioned over the course of the interview and the 15 years of being a, a showrunner, content creator, writer in both film and television, and if it was possible to distill that all into, like, one nugget of advice, this is like the, you know, the Damon Lindelof, like, I know you don't like to necessarily give advice but the thing that you you feel like you want to impart maybe even to your son or other writers coming up behind you or um, other people in the industry what would that sort of one nugget of advice be the the it again this is going to be so boring but it it's the honest answer to your question which is it's just trust your gut like 
and trust your gut slash make your food, which is it. You can and you can taste someone else's food and then say like, how did you make this? Give me the recipe. And now that I've got the recipe, bring me into the kitchen and show me exactly the measurements by which you did it. And I guarantee you, you will never be able to make it exactly the way that they did. And that's going to be, it'll come close, maybe to the degree where somebody eating it wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But I'd just say, why? And so uh, the, the other way to approach it is to identify why that tastes so good and then to just take that feeling and, and use it in, in your food. And, and every time that I feel a gut instinct where I love something or I have an aversion to something, if I then enter into a process of, well, let's, let's rationalize this out. Let's, I can talk myself into doing something really bad and also talk myself out of doing something really good. And it's taken me a long time to kind of get to the point of like, no, I'm going to trust my gut on this. And then if I fail, um, which happens, by the way, uh, uh, of course it does. At least when I reflect back and people say, do you have any regrets? I go, I don't because I was listening to my gut. When I do have regrets, it's when I ignored my gut and I, and I engaged in this process of emotional and mental equivocation and talked myself out of something that I really wanted to do and then I didn't do it. That's where the regret comes from. So trust your gut, make your food. Now I'm hungry. Um, it's, cool. it's, all, it's all gut and food related. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's the, um, that, that's, the, that's the great wisdom that I, that I have to offer. Um, it's, a, it's actually a really great analogy because people talk about all the time the, 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 the intangible ingredient in that food is like the love with which you, yeah. you, know, you made it. So, right, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Favreau made a great movie called, I think it's called Chef. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of all about this. Yeah. Uh, um, that I highly recommend. It kind of like sailed under the radar a bit, but um, it's, 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 it's this writ large. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been... Uh, I've been interested in, in, in hearing what you have to say about this next thing at the end. We usually always give people a chance to be like, if people want to learn more about you or find out about, you know, what you're up to or connect with you online. But you famously sort of quit Twitter mm-hmm. uh, a few years back. So I, I don't even know where to where to start because that's the new fax machine, sure. you know, that you were talking about earlier. So um, and, you know, I'm sure people could just look up, you know. I don't know IMDb or Wikipedia or something to, to to know what you're 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 up to, but um, do you have any other sort of like you know public like postings of of any kind or uh, have you just I, like I sworn an, off the social media thing? I have an Instagram account. It's at Damon Lindelof uh, on Insta, and I I find Instagram to be a much healthier and, and pleasant place in, in 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 general than than Twitter and much less addictive um, from from my perspective, and then. You know, I like to do podcasts like this one because um, you can have longer conversations and things don't get distilled down to sort of one thought. People can have a broader context. And I'm guessing if you stick my name into, you know, into whatever uh, app you listen to podcasts on, you'll find uh, a number of conversations like this one where there will certainly be redundancies because my story is my story. But, um, if you uh, if you if you literally want to hear me talk even more after having listened to this, <laughs> I I don't know who you are and I appreciate you more than you can ever know. But <laughs> um, but I've I uh, I've done a number of uh, of interviews uh, out there and um, I'm always better I think uh, talking than tweeting. 
That's great. Yeah, you can put a lot more context around it. I think I, I think when I did put your name into uh, the YouTube search tool, um, the shortest interview that came up was like fifty five minutes long wow, or something yeah. like that. So uh, you know, I think that, I can jibber jabber. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know you are you know in it uh, yes. all the time and so the fact that you took the time out of your busy schedule to to make this happen like i i really appreciate it i know My our pleasure. listeners are going to appreciate it right on. um and it was uh, it was awesome having you pleasure's all mine Hey everybody, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the second and final part of AJ's chat with Damon. Uh, I have not been able... Damon. <laughs> Dame, how's it going, dude? Like we're buddies. Uh, Mr. Lindelof. Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to this yet, but I looked at the notes that you were uh, that you put together, AJ, for this, and there's a lot of really good stuff. And the one thing that jumped out at me from the notes, I have to say, was right towards the end there, where he says... Uh, but, <laughs> Don't talk for too long in your job interviews because the more uh, you talk, the less likely you are to get the job. And the less you talk, the more likely you are to get the job. And I found it to be so true in my life that, that, you know, hey, we all love talking about ourselves. And it's rare that people actually really listen in this day and age. And when we really feel heard and listened to... It can make a big difference in the world. That's what you know. Ben Mathis' uh, Urban Confessional movement is all about. And uh, it reminds me of a quote uh, that I always sort of chuckle at. It's something like, never fail to remember that if you are doing all the talking, someone's bored. Or something like that. Oh God! So, but I, you know, I mean, I think it's, I think it's true. We've all met those people that just like haven't been heard in a while for whatever reason, and they just, when they get a willing audience, they're just, they just go right. And um, I think that's a little bit sad and a little bit funny and really important to know about the human condition. So that 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 jumped out at me. I, I, I know that's again not having heard the interview. That's probably way out of context. Uh, an interpretation of it that's way out of context. But but that stuck out at me from the notes that you that you shared, AJ. Anything you want to highlight? It's it's not that far out of context. Actually, you you hit it. So I'm gonna uh, pat myself on the back for uh, for taking good notes. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I just, I, I loved, uh, hearing about the industry from this perspective. Um, cause it's one thing to have like a writer or a filmmaker or something come on the show. And it's quite another thing to have a writer or filmmaker with as much like expectation. Um, and let's just call spade a spade pressure that must be on someone like him to deliver again and again and again and again. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he's, out there continuing to be successful, continuing to, um, you know, do a good job putting his ideas into reality, um, was just a really cool, you know, experience. And I love that at the end he did that, you know, broke it down into sort of like three, maybe bonus four rules of these, um, uh, you know, these, these meetings, because if you look at the, the 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 quote unquote rules that he laid out, they're they're a great. I mean, what a great way to sort of end this era of the podcast. Because if you if you read through them, they kind of they don't just apply to writers. They don't just apply to meetings. They apply to pretty much all artists in all um, uh, respects of the art. Like wherever you're at, be yourself. 
we've never talked about that before, right? <laughs> right. right. Number one, be yourself. Number two, do your research, do your homework. Number three, be passionate. And bonus rule number four, don't talk for too long. Like if you follow those four things, you're going to be pretty damn successful in whatever you're doing, let alone writing, acting, directing, uh, filmmaking, uh, et cetera. So anyway, that was my, one of my favorite, uh, favorite parts of this. So I hope you all got as much out of it as, uh, as we did. Mm. I love it, man. Just be a people person. That's it. Be a people person, not a people pleaser, a people person, big difference. Uh, awesome. So grateful to have Damon on the show and, uh, excited to share this full interview now with the world. Uh, picks of the week. I'll quickly share mine uh, before we jump into yours, AJ, because we may have more to say about yours. But I've been listening to this free-ish. Not not all the episodes are free, but it's sort of like a podcast, but it's only available on Audible. And it's called Where Shall We Begin? It's a, a, a series that's sort of a, serving as a promotion for this uh, therapist, couples therapist, named Esther Perel. And each episode is her counseling a real-life couple on various issues, everything from, like, infidelity to impotence to transgender to loss of sexual desire to uh, you name it. I mean, there there is – there's basically – it runs the entire gamut of, of issues. And it's not always pretty, sometimes disturbing, but – it's such a beautiful study in the human condition and the fact that relationships take work and that as we evolve as people, how we love evolves as well and how we need to be loved evolves as well. And that's, it's not always uh, an easy you know, fix. It's not an easy thing to identify. And I've just found it to be such a wonderful study of the human condition, especially as it, as it applies to relationships. So I think for actors or anybody that makes art of any kind, this would be a really valuable thing to sort of let your ears soak in for a little while. There's two seasons, and each season's about 10 episodes. The first season, as far as I can tell, is free. You don't have to be an Audible member. I'm not an Audible member. But you can download these for free from the website and then listen to them on, on the app on, on your phone. And then of the second season, some of the episodes are free and some cost like 2 bucks. Um, I'm not sure exactly how or why they're, they're doing it that way, but you can get a good deal of it for free and it's really fascinating. So that's my pick of the week. Uh, where shall we begin by Esther Perel ex available exclusively on audible? Really, really good stuff. I honestly can't believe I have not either made this a pick of the week or, um, Jasmine hasn't wrote in, um, and made it a sort of a listener, uh, team IAP pick of the week. I'm very familiar with this and uh just want to second everything that trevor just said it's it's really incredible um such an interesting look into um into relationships and she's amazing like we're really really big fans of her and her work and everything that she's up to every time i see her in uh in uh, any context of like a, a, a seminar or a, a conference or something like that, I'm like, oh, should we go to this? Like, <laughs> this looks awesome. Uh, you know, if, if she's involved, it must be good. Uh, so anyway, um, here, here to that. That's all I got to say. Yeah. You know, at first I was like, why, why would I want to listen to other people's problems? Like, there, isn't there something else I could listen to that'd be more empowering? But I decided to give it a shot. And uh, it's just... 
it's really empowering, actually, uh, strangely enough. I, I just yeah. find it so instructive that like, wow, you know, lo- loving and being loved is all any of us really want at the most fundamental level. And it's it's really is our life's work. How do we love in the world and how do we lo- be loved? And that's a, those are huge questions. And just to see all the different ways it, that can manifest in personal relationships, in the world, as, as our, as our uh, you know, collective consciousness evolves, it, it, it's such a... A beautiful study in in how complex and and complicated that can be, but also how simple it can be. And she, mm. like you said, she's an immensely talented woman. I, I always approach you know people who are set up to be almost like gurus in a way. I almost approach them as sort of like a okay, let's see what this person's about. But she she's the real deal. She really is. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So that's my pick of the week. Your pick of the week. Mr. Meyer. So, so this is nothing new, and I, I may have even made it my pick of the week a year ago, but we're a year into what I have essentially spent the last year of my life doing, um, working on, uh, being passionate about outside of my acting uh, life and acting career, uh, something called Today at Apple, which is sort of um, Apple's new initiative to um, turn their stores into like these centers of learning and community um, in whatever community they they happen to you know exist in. Um, it, it's 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 sort of the next evolution of Apple's free you know workshops that they've been doing since you know Trevor and I were teaching these 12, 13 years ago. Um, when we were working at, at, at the store together, but it's, um, it, I've, I realized I have been spending so much time, passion, effort, um, working on, um, moving the vision of this, um, this, uh, this initiative and this program forward and not really sharing it on, you know, the podcast where I'm, you know, uh, talking about what I'm doing on a week to week basis. So, um, you know, I don't really have much to say other than like, if you think that, you know, classes in an Apple store are just for old people, uh, then this program is for you because they're not, you know, we have basic classes, but we also have classes on like how to shoot photos with iPhone or how to edit video on your Mac. So if you're looking for tips on, you know, putting together your self tapes, for instance, um, there's something for you. Um, we have these really cool things called photo walks where we actually go on a walk outside of the store um, to sort of take pictures in a more practical setting. And um, that is something that I want to start doing when I visit a new city, because how cool is that to go to a free hour and a half long tour of the local area around a store in a city that you're unfamiliar with learning all the best spots from somebody who's local and how to take pictures and take pictures of cool things. So, um, you know, I'm going to start doing that. Um, when I'm traveling around um, to uh, to different cities, uh, just booking that in. So kind of a cool thing. And uh, I've been working on it very hard and very um, diligently for a year. We just passed the one year anniversary of Today at Apple a couple of weeks ago. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give my uh, my thrival job some some love there. So that's uh, that's my pick of the week. Awesome. Link on our website in the show notes for that. And uh, I am just constantly amazed at the amount of resources that Apple pours into education and the cultivation of the of the skills, the creativity that can be, um, you know, engendered and developed through through these 
these products. It, it, that, that was what drew me to Apple originally and what keeps me such an Apple fan. It's, the products are great, but it's just that they invest so, many res- so, so much resources, so, many, so much time and money and, and marketing and who knows what else in terms of uh, you know, business capital in encouraging people to use these things to, to make their own unique you know, sort of signature on the world. I mean, how cool is that? It, it just speaks to the, the mission of Apple, which is really like, you know, people are brilliant. All we, all they need to do is be activated and our tools can, our products can help them do that. Yeah. I, I just, I love uh, it, man. I get, I get, I get paid decently well and I get great benefits and I can't remember the last time I sold something. So if you want to talk about, you know, you were talking about the research and development, all that stuff that go, you know, the investments that go into it. Like there's multiple of me at every single, you know, 400 plus stores in the fleet. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of investment in, um, in people power too. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's making me want to reapply, see if I can <laughs> start working there again. Uh, awesome. Today at Apple. And then lastly, we have a listener pick. This comes from our uh, former um, director of public relations, Miss Grace Gordon. Grace, we love you. We miss you. Uh, her, so pick, yeah, her pick of the week is a uh, an article from PositivePsychologyNews.com called The Passion Paradox. And it's specifically about actors uh, and, and obsessive pursuit of this Industry, lifestyle, vision, purpose uh, versus something that might be a little bit more rewarding. And essentially it comes down to service-based art. And uh, the article really makes a compelling case for volunteering, uh, you know, uh, your your creative talents and gifts uh, with a larger community. And again, I'm going to sort of harken back to the Ben Mathis interviews. I was just going to say, does she mention him? Yeah, in the- I, she should. Yeah, because it's just, you know, we talked about Ben's, uh, you know, free listening thing, uh, Urban Confessional, and just how I, I really feel that's one of the best acting classes you could ever take. And it's free and you don't have to do anything except stand there and <laughs> listen to people. It's just it's just so powerful. And uh, this this article is really in the same vein. It's a little bit more active and directed, but it's it's in the same vein. So check it out. The Passion Paradox, the link to that article is on the uh, on our website in the show notes for this episode. Sweet. Yeah. So that's, um, where shall we begin? Uh, a series about relationships by Esther Perel on, uh, audible. Uh, so check that out. Uh, a double pick for that. Like that's got double stamp of approval from the, the two, uh, co-hosts here, uh, today at Apple, uh, go check out a free session, at your local Apple store and uh, this awesome article from Grace Gordon, The Passion Paradox. Those are some some awesome picks of the week there. It's a really cool lineup. Um, anything else before we uh, sign off for the second to last time? I can't say it. I can't do it. I know. It, it squeezes my heart too in a, in a hard, difficult way. Uh, no, I got nothing else, man. Let's, let's get right. out of here. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and hosted by Trevor Algat and AJ Meyer with production help from Jen Levin. You can visit us online at insideacting.net where you can sign up for our email dispatch and listen to every single one of our episodes and see the show notes and the picks of the week and everything we've ever talked about on this podcast. We're also on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, uh, SoundCloud, I mean, you name it, we're, we're there. You can find uh, Inside Acting pretty much anywhere that you use the, the medias socially or listen to podcasts. <laughs> The media's socially. 
that's what social media is called in the phone book. Media, comma, social. <laughs> right. uh, you can directly support Inside Acting with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. This is what's going to keep it online and available for everyone, um, no matter what happens. Um, but uh, we'll also support the continued production um, as uh, as we transition into something new. So visit InsideActing.net to uh, learn more and click on uh, the donate link. All right. And that does it for episode 313 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening, for being with us today, for your ear time. We hope you got something out of it. We certainly enjoyed being here. We'll see you next week for our final Inside Acting As You've Come to Know It episode. Until then, love and be loved. 